We pray now, Lord, as we turn to your word, that you would speak. Speak to our hearts, Lord. Speak in a way that that brings comfort, that brings hope. Be with Pete um, as he shares from your word uh, and encourages us and builds us up. Lord, may we um, may we not go away. May we go away changed, Lord. May our hearts be open to what will be said. May we see you and know more of you uh, as we look at your word. We pray, Heavenly Father. Amen. Okay, the reading is from Revelation chapter six and verses one to eight. I'm reading from the ESV. Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come! And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come! And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth, so that people would slay one another, and he was given a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come! And I looked, and behold, a black horse, and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures say, a quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come, and I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death. And Hades followed him, and they were given authority over a quarter of the earth to kill with the sword, and with famine, and with pestilence, and by wild beasts of the earth. Amen. Can you all hear me? Good. We'll actually continue that reading, uh, the rest of the chapter from verse 9, if we can have that up on the screen if that's possible. Thank you. We've had the first four seals, now the next two. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest for a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. When he opened the sixth seal, behold, there was a great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth, and the full moon became like blood. And the stars of the sky fell on the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth 
and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who's seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? We've been reflecting recently a lot on the death of a good monarch, a great monarch, Queen Elizabeth uh, II, who embodied so much of history. Her family tree was remarkable. It connects back more than a thousand years, in fact, some lines to the Caesars, and her history, the family history, connects with almost every major event, good and bad, that happened in European history over the last thousand years. She had 15 prime ministers. She was the longest standing British monarch and a constant throughout the life of most of us, connected with so much history. And yet this morning we're considering Jesus Christ, whom of course our Queen um, confessed, as not just someone who was really significant within history, but in fact who is the Lord of history who is the culmination of history. And our passage, Revelation 6, is going to remind us of that. Now, Revelation is a difficult book. It's simultaneously difficult and easy. I mean, it's got to be easy at a certain level. And that is it's encouraging Christians who are going through a hard time. So it has to be able to speak to them. And yet at the same time, it's not as straightforward as it could be. And often things in the Bible aren't. Think about the parables, which are often not as straightforward as they could be. Or many of the prophets. Ezekiel is not maximally simple. Neither is the big crossword in some of the newspapers. It's not meant to be. Why could it be? Because God wants us to lean on him for understanding. And to recognize there's so much more uh, for us to try and understand. Now, There's a change of gear as we get to Revelation chapter 6, because if it was difficult in chapters 1 to 5, it gets more difficult at this point. And that's just not me making excuses. I I think it genuinely is going to get more difficult, because with chapter 1, it's a a vision that that John sees. In chapters 2 and 3, it seems to apply particularly to churches at particular times. And you can say, yeah, um, we can learn lessons from that every day. And chapters 4 and 5, we have a vision But that vision shows us what God's throne room is like through time. But think about chapter 6. When do these events happen? That's a a really tough question. And so far, as we've been going through the book of Revelation, there's some puzzling characters. We might wonder about the four beasts, or we might wonder what it means for there to be an angel of the church. But we're going to get more difficult problems than that uh, as we get to uh, this chapter. So what we're going to do is we're going to have to do a bit of a workout. And we're going to work, what's the text say? We're going to work through the text before we go on to what it means for us. So there are going to be some easy things, and that's uh, good. God wants to bless us this morning. So to recap, we've got in chapter 5, there is a book in scroll form, a roll-type book, in God's right hand, and it is sealed with seven seals, and there is no one, no one found worthy to loose those seals other than the lamb. And what happens in chapter 6 is, and this is easy to remember, in chapter 6, six of those seals are loosed by the lamb. And each time 
that one of those seals is loosed, John sees something. Then what we have in chapter 7 is you'd want 7 to be the seventh seal, but it's not. It's actually an interlude, but it's much more than an interlude. You'll hear about that uh, from um, Tim Howlett later. It's an amazing uh, vision, but you don't actually get the seventh seal to the the beginning of chapter 8. And then it's that opening of the seventh seal which sets off another sequence of seven, the seven trumpets. And they go through in order, uh, blowing, uh, sounding, until you get to the sixth. And then there's a gap of about a couple of chapters before you get to the seventh trumpet. So there's a bit of a, a pattern uh, to see going on here. In fact, when we look at the seals, we can see them forming a pattern of a group of four and a group of two and then one uh, at the end. And we're going to look at the four and the two uh, to, uh, uh, right now. So firstly, we start with four horsemen. There are only four horsemen, not six, not seven, just four. Um, and they got, they're riding horses of different colours. And they're each introduced by uh, one of the four beasts. Remember, there are only four beasts, not seven. So there's that group of four. Then we have uh, the, the verses that, that I read uh, from verse nine onwards, which are two visions, the fifth and the sixth seals. Uh, first of the martyred saints, that's the fifth seal. And sixthly, of sinners being judged. And then, of course, the seventh seal, which comes at the beginning of chapter eight, is uh, preparing for uh, the trumpets through the prayers of the saints. So let's now look at the four horsemen, each on different colored horses. White, red, black, and pale. Now, if you've been reading the Bible regularly, as I hope you do, that might remind you of something that happens somewhere else in the Bible. It's in the book of Zechariah, Zechariah chapters 1 and chapter 6, that you get some visions of horses and even the chariots in chapter 6 with different colours. I just want to read a couple of those passages for us, because uh, one of them is pretty interesting. Uh, well, both of them are interesting. Um, Zechariah chapter 1 will have different coloured horses followed by a how long? And that's what Zechariah says. That's exactly what we get in this passage, where the saints who've been martyred in the fifth uh, vision, the fifth seal, call out how long. So this is Zechariah chapter 1, and I'm going to read from verse 8. I saw in the night, and behold, there was a man riding on a red horse. He was standing among the myrtle trees in the glen, and behind him were red and sorrel and white horses. And I said, what are these, my lord? Um, the angel who talked to me said to me, I will show you what these are. So the man who was standing among the myrtle trees answered, These are they who are sent, um, uh, whom the Lord has sent to patrol the earth. And they answered the angel of the Lord who was standing among the myrtle trees and said, We have patrolled the earth and behold, all the earth remains at rest, which is one of those other words we get in this passage where the saints are told to rest. Then the Lord, uh, the angel of the Lord said to me, O Lord of hosts, how long will you have no mercy on Jerusalem and the sisters of Judah against whom you've been angry these 70 years? Well, not an easy passage, is it? But there's something that's quite simple to understand. Back in that time of Zechariah, it's been really difficult for God's people for 70 years. And other people have been having it easy, the other nations. And they call out, how long is that going to happen? And that's all leading to a rebuilding of Jerusalem, just as we have in the book of Revelation, where we will see a new Jerusalem at the end. So there's definitely a connection and one to ponder a bit more. 
over to Zechariah chapter 6. Uh, and this time uh, we've got chariots, but they've got uh, different colours. And this is Zechariah chapter 6 and verse 1. Again, I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, there were four chariots who came out from between two mountains. And the mountains were mountains of bronze. The first chariot had red horses, the second black horses, the third white horses, and the fourth chariot dappled horses, all of them strong. And again, uh, God says in chapter 6, verse 8 of Zechariah, behold, they've got, um, these ones have set my spirit at rest. Well, lots of puzzling things there. But what's clear here is that what is going on with these horses as they were in the book of Zechariah is justice is being done. That's what's going on in Zechariah. That's what's going on in the book of Revelation. Okay, let's go into these four horses one by one. And the numbers one and three are uh, going to be a bit more difficult. Let's start with the rider on the white horse. You saw that? Uh, I look, this is verse two. Behold, a rider on a white horse and its rider had a bow and a crown was given to him and he came out conquering and to conquer. I've got to start by asking the question, well, who is this rider on a white horse? Well, to answer that, I want us to look first at Revelation chapter 19. I said there's going to be a bit of work, so I want to hear some pages rustling. Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 to 16, where we're going to see a rider on a white horse. Okay, Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 to 16. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and one sitting on it, called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself, and he is clothed with a robe dipped in blood. The name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, and with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has the name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Well, that seems pretty clear. The rider on the right horse in Revelation chapter 19 is Jesus. The word of God. But does that fit here? It's a bit of a problem, isn't it? Because actually, this is the lamb opening the seals. And John's looking and seeing a vision. So if he sees the lamb and the lamb is Christ, are we going to have two Christs in the same vision? And are we going to allow that Christ can just be one of four characters? Remember what Peter said at the transfiguration. He said, oh, let's make three tents. The Jesus tent, the Moses tent and the Elijah tent. Great idea. No, not a great idea. You can't just put Jesus alongside as one of a category. So what we have here is, is when you look at this rider in Revelation chapter 6 and you compare the one in chapter 19, well, the description in chapter 19 is just way, way, way more glorious. But what you have here is, if you like, a Jesus lookalike. Jesus isn't the only one who resembles Jesus. And in the book of Revelation, we see that. Revelation chapter 13, we have a beast, verse 3, and it says one of the heads of the beasts seemed to have a fatal wound, but that fatal wound had been healed. That reminds you of the lamb as if he'd been slain and he he's, uh, lives again. Or again another beast, chapter 13, verse 11, 
where it says, he had the horn, two horns like a lamb, but spoke like a dragon. It's interesting that when Jesus talks about the future, Matthew 24, um, Mark 13, uh, and, and uh, it's talking about the end of the world, as well as the destruction of the temple, the very first thing he talks about is false Christ, the very first. And then he goes on to wars and famines, which we're going to get in this, exactly the same pattern happening in this passage. So I'd want to say uh, that this first rider goes out to victory. Now, if he goes out to conquer, well, is that a good thing or not? It's a little bit ambiguous. It depends who's being conquered, doesn't it? But if the first character is a bit unclear, the second character is much more clear. The rider on a red horse. And this is a fiery red horse, not just a a chestnut horse, uh, that sort of red. No, this is a a red horse whose colour reminds you of blood. And here we have, when he goes out, people are killing each other. Pieces taken from the earth. Then we have the third rider who's on a black horse and he's carrying scales. And what's the message? Well, the message is one of huge inflation. The NIV puts it this, like this. The message is two pounds of wheat for a day's wage. OK, that's, that's a paraphrase, but it gives you a certain uh, sense of it. If you like two pounds or a kilogram, roughly, uh, for one day's wage or a denarius. Now, just think about that. Um, you can get a bit more barley, by the way. Barley's a bit, a, a bit cheaper. Um, and, and then, if you only get a denarius a day, and you're a working man, and you're getting a couple of pounds of wheat, you've got no money left over for anything else, what if your family's the size of, say, Mary and Joseph's family? Remember, as well as Jesus, they had four sons, and Matthew 13 talks about Oh, aren't all his sisters here? Well, if if there's an all, you've got to have at least three. So you've got a family of ten. How are you going to feed that off one kilo of wheat in a day? It's not going to work, is it? That's 100 grams each. So what we have here is a time of price inflation. Oh, by the way, but the wine and the oil are absolutely just fine. It's selective inflation. Now, which is more basic for life? Bread or wine and oil? I mean, we've managed since the founding of UBM without having wine on teams. And we've been fine, haven't we? Right? But imagine if we'd done without bread all that time. We really have noticed. Oil, well, you use it for lamps. You can use it like a shampoo. Gets rid of your nits, doesn't it? Um, I know you don't tend to use it as shampoo, but you could. Um, They did. Um, And you you could, yeah, dip, dip bread in it. But in terms of What's basic? The bread is really expensive, the thing you need to live. It's a cost of living crisis, not a famine. It's a cost of living crisis. It's as if you go into the supermarkets and it's 100 quid to get a loaf of bread or a tin of beans, but the ice cream's really cheap. Now, some of you might like that for a while. Maybe that's not a good analogy. But um, the point is, it's, it's hard actually to live like that. And that's the strange thing that's announced here. Now, if you thought red was scary and dark black was scary, there's a scarier colour yet. And that is the pale one. Pale like, like a corpse. And that's what the fourth horse is like. And unlike the others, he has a named rider. He's called Death. 
And he's got his companion, Hades. He's not hell, uh, but Hades is like a personified figure who just wants to collect up as many people to die and, you know, as he possibly can. And that's the picture we have. Imagine him like a person, not quite sure what, whether like Hades is on the back of the horse or, or just running along uh, uh, afterwards. That doesn't matter. The point is just as many dead people as possible. And this fourth rider, let's set, talk about four sources of death. Sword, famine, plague, wild beasts, and kills a fourth of the earth. And you'll see as you go through the book of Revelation, they go from killing a fourth to then it's a third uh, it, uh, under the trumpets, chapter 8, verses 7 and 9, and then even all later on in the book. Things seem to be getting worse. You go from that sort of white horse conquest, ambiguous, to um, things that are clearly uh, bad. Things that seem to have an okay beginning, ending very badly. Now, whether or not these, uh, uh, um, what particular time you refer to them in history, these are patterns we can see in the world at every period. Bloodshed leading to food shortage, leading to death. That's been a theme even in Europe's history in 2022, hasn't it? So we can see that in the situation in Ukraine. We can see it in other places around the world. Then we have the fifth seal. And it's different from the four horsemen. It's a beautiful and yet painful scene. Saints have been killed for the word of God. And they're waiting and they're calling out and they're saying, how long, Lord? You're just, you're fair. How long before our blood is avenged? And they're told to wait. They're given a white robe, a, a robe symbolizing purity. Their sins are washed away and their victory. They're told to wait until the full number of their brothers and sisters to be killed is filled up. Then we have the sixth seal. That's terrifying. There's an earthquake. Sun, moon, stars, everything is unstable. The heavens recede. The mountains move. Nothing that you thought you could rely on is there. And then seven groups, most of them elite groups, uh, 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 are in terror. Kings, princes, generals, rich and mighty. But not just those. Also the slaves and the free. Everyone on earth who has not put their trust in the Lamb is terrified and is calling for the rocks, calling for the mountains to fall on them. Imagine being so scared you'd prefer a mountain to fall on you. You're wanting the thickest possible covering. What are they afraid of? They're afraid of the face of the one on the throne and the wrath of the lamb. The lamb, so gentle. A lamb slain for us. And here we have the lamb's wrath. It's terrifying when you think of someone angry who is not easily provoked to anger. And they ask who is able to stand? That's the last thing we read. And without wanting to steal Tim's thunder, I do have to point the next chapter. Chapter 7 and verse 9 talks about this group. It says, after this I looked and behold a great number that no one could number, uh, a, um, a great multitude that no one could number from every tribe and from all, uh, all, every nation, all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Who is able to stand those who've been washed by the blood of the Lamb. So that's an overview of the chapter. The four horsemen showing bad things in history and the two contrasting groups, the martyrs and those who don't follow Christ. Okay, what's it mean for us? You don't need to understand everything about the book of Revelation 
to understand something. In fact, there's even a, 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 a nice thing about the book of Revelation, that even when you get things wrong, you can sometimes get them right. Um, so uh, uh, even when you over-apply something to a specific situation, you say that's going on about our century, and really it, it's, it, it's broader, often you can get the right spiritual message. So even some of those, I would say, quite cookie interpretations, sometimes they, they can still get to the heart of something. That's not just a justifying justification of going off and having loopy interpretations. I'm just saying it, God's written it so that ordinary people going through a hard time can be encouraged. What are the four horsemen about? Are they, do they happen one after another? Is this something at the end of time, after us now? Is it something we'll never live through? Well, okay, but whether or not we live through something specific, this still applies to us today. Some people might say there's an especially bad time in the future. Okay, maybe, but it still applies today. The whole book is written to God's people throughout the entire age of the church. Some people say it's about a specific time, like there was a specific famine in the year 92 where there was a shortage of bread. Okay, yes, it can apply back then, but it still applies now. The book of Revelation is relevant to every age, and it has a habit of just being relevant again and again. I find this passage hugely relevant to the situation we find ourselves in right now. We can see ambiguous victories. We can see war on our continent. We can see a cost of living crisis. We can see deaths always in the news, especially right now. Elements of the four horses, uh, uh, horsemen can be seen at any time. So what can we learn? These are the lessons to learn. Number one. The lamb is in control. The lamb is in control. These are terrible things that are talked about, but every seal is loosed by the lamb. And in fact, he's worthy because he was slain. There's a connection between his death for us and the loosing of these seals of the terrible things happening in history. Each horseman goes out when the lamb opens the seal of the book in God's hand. When we see suffering in the world, when we see conflict, when we see economic crisis, when we see the death of our dear queen, are these things because the world is out of control? No, they're happening by God's book. God is king. Personally, I find the death of our queen unnerving. Because I could count on her to wave the flag for the Christian faith publicly every year in her Christmas message. And now she's no longer here. Now it's right that Christians should speak respectfully of all authorities and appropriately honour our new King Charles. But without a change of heart, and may he, dear Lord, have a change of heart, he won't be enthusing about Christ. So we might feel now a little bit more shaky. We need to remember Christ is in control, whether it's a pandemic, a lockdown, a war, an economic crisis, the loss of a dear monarch. The lamb is in control. When we go to the beach, he's in control. When we go to work, he's in control. When things are going tough with our personal life or our health, he is in control. So that's a lesson for us to take and a huge encouragement. Secondly, the saints suffer and are safe. The saints suffer and are safe. When the horsemen 
unleash the suffering, Christians are not immune to that. They go through it all. In fact, everyone seems to go through suffering. But the Christians also go through some extra suffering. Look at the fifth woe and you see believers being killed. So Christians are suffering in a special way. Now, in our culture, Christians don't suffer much. Yes, occasionally a street preacher is arrested. Sometimes there have been a few legal cases where Christians have had a pretty uh, hard time of it. But when you compare what's going on here with what's going on globally in Iran, Christians martyred. I know someone who'd been working in Iran for 25 years. He was uh, mentoring five different pastors. He said four of them have been killed. So many people there. In North Korea, so many people missing, so many people imprisoned. In Nigeria, just mob violence and Christians being murdered. In China, having the government watch your every move and all that facial recognition, all of the sort of um, technology, keeping tabs on what you're doing. In Russia, Pentecostals arrested because they're somehow not a traditional Christian, uh, Russian uh, group. And here in the UK, Christians have, or churches have, charitable status. UBM has a charitable status. And often with that favour from the state, and that's a good thing, but often we're weak with it. But here we have Christian martyrs. And that seal has a bittersweet message. It's bitter because it says there's more yet to come. But sweet because it shows that number is an exact number known to God. And God cares about each one of them. And they're told they can rest and there will be justice and they will enter into their reward. The odd thing for us, isn't it? There's a group missing here. Think about it. Like, where's the ordinary Christian? I mean, it tells you in this passage about the non-believers and it tells you about the martyrs. And you think, well, where are we? Like, just ordinary Christians ought to be in the passage, shouldn't we? I mean, like, shouldn't just be two groups. Like, martyrs are pretty rare. They're like this special group uh, that, I mean, how many of you even know a Christian martyr personally or have, have known a Christian martyr personally? Let's have a show of hands. So it's a pretty rare group. So why have we got this rare, like, particular, strange, special group? And the normies, us, normal Christians, not in here. Don't, shouldn't we have a place in here? But doesn't that sort of challenge us in another way? Do we have it so easy because we're not following Christ closely enough? Yes, it's great that we've lived at a time of favour uh, towards Christianity. Now, the book is not saying you have to be martyred in order uh, to be faithful. Um, there are different understandings of how uh, John ended his life, but certainly John lived for a very um, a long time. He may have died of natural causes. But this book challenges, doesn't it? Challenges us, because I think this group is missing deliberately, because humans are not given three choices. Choice number one, not following Christ. Choice number two, following Christ the easy way. And then choice number three, following Christ the hard way. And say, oh yeah, most of us can just take that sort of following Christ the easy way option. It's not actually there. There are people who, whether they actually get martyred or not, are prepared to give their lives for Christ. And there are those who are not. Christ said to everyone to take up 
his cross and follow him. Now we can be thankful that in the UK we've not been called to pay the ultimate price. But that shouldn't lead us to complacency. It shouldn't actually make us think that our situation is the norm. All sorts of people, very large numbers of Christians around the globe, are suffering for their faith. Our situation, if it's been having ease with a Christian faith, has been the abnormal situation. And so we need to get ready, whether we're called ultimately or not, to give our lives, um, to actually die for Christ. We are told to mortify sin. We are told to give up our lives daily, take up our cross daily for Christ. So that's the second lesson. The first lesson, the lambs in control. The second lesson, the saints suffer and are safe. Thirdly, there's a terrifying judgment if you don't believe. The sixth seal is terrifying, isn't it? Judgment awaits everyone who's not put their trust in Christ. And the judgment is so terrible that the people pictured here would choose any fate rather than face it. They pray to the mountains. They pray to the mountains to fall on them, to hide them from the wrath of the Lamb. A major motivation for our outreach should be wanting people to be spared that. Jesus wept over Jerusalem. He loved the man who walked away. Jesus' tears fell over Jerusalem, and so should ours. And when we read of this wrath, we've got to remember that this is the wrath of one who is slow to anger. In fact, there's no one who is more slow to anger than God. God is more long-suffering than anyone else. So if he is finally provoked to anger, what a big thing that is. In fact, there is no greater anger than God's anger because there's been no greater gift than the gift of Christ and his precious blood to wash away our sins. And when we see these people, it does not depict for us the wrath of the Lamb. It simply depicts for us the reaction of those people seeing the wrath of the Lamb. And when they see the wrath of the Lamb, they are calling for the mountains to fall on them. Something so terrible that they would want anything else. Think about the terrible situation there was with the Twin Towers, where there was fire inside those towers, and people somehow thought that leaping out of a window was preferable to staying where they were. Anything would be preferable to the wrath of the Lamb. Which is why we need to go out with love for the lost, the third principle of United Beach Missions, motivating our hearts to get the message out while we can. We have a loving God and let us never accept the thought that somehow he doesn't care about the lost. If we care about the lost, it's because he cares more about the lost. Any love we have, he has more. But when something so precious as the blood of Christ has been offered for people and they've rejected it, a terrible fate awaits. And that's why we've got to get out there and we've got to put our lives uh, um, uh, uh, before God every day 
in sacrifice as we seek to get the message out. So those are the three lessons. The lambs in control, the saints suffer and are safe, and there's a terrifying judgment if you don't believe. So what do we learn from all this? Well, the lamb is so vulnerable, wounded, slain. Think of Isaiah chapter 53, verse 7. Like a lamb that's led before the slaughter and like a sheep before his shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And that lamb who gave himself for us rose again and is Lord of history and judge of the world. The queen was remarkable in her majesty. And many stories are coming out now of how she was down to earth. That is as nothing compared with our Lord Jesus Christ, who came down from absolute glory to earth, who condescended far more. The queen had some pain in her life, bereavement and loss. Christ's suffering were more than we could imagine. The queen became a sovereign over 32 states now, uh, down to 14 independent countries. The lamb controls everything in history. The Queen's reign, sadly for us, comes to an end. But the Lamb's reign goes on forever and ever. The Lamb is in control. He's the consummation of history. And that's why if we suffer, we can still look forward to the fact that he will welcome us into eternal glory. We are safe because he is in control. And that's why we can go out and invite people to, and plead with people and implore people to turn away from their sins, from the terrifying judgment, and accept the love and the blood of Christ shed for them, which washes all their sins away and gives them a white robe in which they can rest and be confident of his eternal glory. Let's just pray. Lord, we thank you for your word and these sobering things that we've learned. We pray that you'll drive these lessons home to us. And we thank you that Jesus Christ is King and Lord of all. Amen.